I'll invite you to find 2 Corinthians in your Bibles. Um, when we first read our scripture, it's going to be up here, but thereafter you'll need to, to look at it in your Bibles. And I really want to encourage you to look at it in your Bibles um, as we go through the sermon this morning. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. So we, um, the way I think about us and our mission and who we are as Christians is in light of the great commandments and the great commission sort of stuck together. The great commandments, Jesus said, sum up all of what God wants for us to do. And the first and foremost is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the big number one commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hang all the rest of what God has told us to do. If we can... If we can, with our true selves, our deepest self, our heart, love God and truly selflessly love people, everything else would flow naturally from that. And then it flows into the Great Commission, which right before Jesus left his disciples and ascended back into heaven, he said, go now and make disciples of all nations. So making disciples is connecting the people that we genuinely love to the God that we genuinely worship. And it's a natural outflowing. And a big part of making disciples is evangelism. Now, I have realized the last few weeks, especially the Lord has shown me, I really have not talked to you much about evangelism. Um, I think part of the reason for that is I came up in a tradition that talked a lot about evangelism. And it was you, you did a course on how to evangelize a person. For me, it was called Evangelism Explosion, and it armed me with a couple of, of questions to ask to initiate conversation about Jesus out of thin air, and I, I can't remember exactly what they were. Some of you may remember one of them is uh, if you were to die today and were to stand before Jesus and he would say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say in response? That was one of the questions. So we study this curriculum, me and one other person from the youth, we were the only two who went through the, the program, and then they drove us around to houses and basically kicked us out of the car and said, go evangelize. And we'd knock on doors of people we'd never met, and they'd come to the door, and we'd be just like shaking with terror at just the this, this social awkwardness of the whole thing. And we would rigidly go through the, the steps of the questions and the things that evangelism explosion taught us to do. And it was terrifying and it scarred me for life. And, and I know from knowing Jesus a lot longer now, you know, it's been a while since I was a teenager. I've known Jesus long enough now and I've experienced the gospel long enough now that I know that he is everything he claimed to be. I know that Jesus is glorious and wonderful and he is the one way and he's the truth and the life. I know how much people around me need him. And now evangelism does come more naturally. It's, it's not following a rigid um, outline that's been handed to me. It does flow from who I am as a Christian. And that's what I want for you guys. Now, I'm not saying I'm this awesome evangelist. Um, you know, I have the same struggles that you do, but... I don't want to give you guys a, a program. I don't want to give you three questions to ask the, the cashier at Food Lion in order to evangelize her. That almost even sounds violent, doesn't it? I'm going to evangelize you. We need to love God, really. 
And we need to love people really. We need to really believe in Jesus Christ. And then we will evangelize. It will happen. So we're in this series now about being the light. We're in a dark time of year. It gets dark earlier at night and it stays dark later in the morning. And soon we're going to celebrate Halloween, one of the darkest holidays in our culture. So all month we're looking at scriptures that had to do with the light. And a big part of being the light is sharing the light of Jesus Christ with people who are in the dark. So today we're going to talk about evangelism. And we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're only going to focus on verses 3 through 6, but we're going to read 1 through 6. And I want us to, to return to our old practice of standing as we read God's Word. I think it's an appropriate expression of respect for God's Word. If you would stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, here we have it. We have your word. And we recognize our frailty and our our propensity to daydream and lose interest even though we're sitting under the the powerful, mighty word of God. And we come to you humbly now, and I ask that you would get our attention and that you would soften our minds and our hearts, that you would transform us through the meditation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So anytime you read a passage like that, you're dropping into um, a context that you might not understand. So let me just give you a few brief words about the context of this passage. This is written by the Apostle Paul, okay, and he's writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth. Paul had a very complicated relationship with this church. Um, There was a lot of trouble between the two, and it seems like when he wrote this letter, the church was suspicious of him for a number of different reasons. It seems like, judging by the first couple of verses, they thought that he was losing heart and maybe losing his heart for them and maybe growing lazy perhaps or at least neglectful of them. It seems that they thought that he had been doing some disgraceful or underhanded things. And he's trying to correct that misconception. It seems that they might have thought he was tampering with God's word because there were a lot of Jewish believers in this church. And it was really hard for them to understand a lot of the new covenant that Paul was trying to teach. And it seems like they thought he was trying to veil the gospel in some way. 
that his gospel was veiled and it was confusing and it didn't correspond with what they knew from the old covenant with Moses. So he's, he's basically defending himself in this passage. And that's what we see when we jump in, really starting with verse 3 is where we're going to focus. So what I want to share with you from verses 3 through 6 is three reminders and two assignments regarding evangelism. Three reminders, two assignments. But before we launch into them, I want you to get in your mind the people in your life that you really want to come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one person in particular that God keeps bringing to your mind and in your heart. They don't know Jesus. They don't trust or follow Jesus. They're walking around in the dark. You're concerned about them. You love them. You care about them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody at work, an old friend. Are you getting a picture of someone's face in your mind, somebody that you care about, somebody that's in your life that doesn't know Jesus? I want you to hear this sermon with that face or those faces in your minds the whole time. Okay, so just get that over on one side and then devote the other side to listening to me. We'll start with the reminders. And I hope that this will be real practical for us as we try to evangelize, as we try to share Christ. Reminder number one, Jesus is glorious. Jesus is glorious. Look in your Bibles at verse 4 and verse 6. Verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. And, and what's the light? It's the light of the gospel of the glory. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And now look down at the end of verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light. And what's the light? The light of the knowledge of the glory. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorious. Glory, glory is um, honor, splendor. Literally, it's heaviness and weight. We're familiar with glory, but we don't always use that term. Glory is what gets people camping out in front of the Apple store overnight to get the new iPhone. Glory is what causes people who are together at a football game in the stadium to go crazy when some guy runs with a ball over a line. <laughs> glory is what makes even the manliest of men shed a tear when they stand at the Grand Canyon and look out over this magnificent thing that God has created. That's glory. And Jesus is glorious. He's glorious because he is the image of God. That's mentioned in both of those verses. The glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's in verse 4. Verse 6. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's God's glory in Jesus' face. He's glorious because he is the very image of God. Remember Hebrews 1 He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ. He is the representation of God's nature and glory. There's nothing more glorious than the God of the universe. God created the Grand Canyon. God created the men who run the ball across the line. God created the people who designed the iPhone. 
And his glory funnels all the way down in its most maximum um, concentration through Jesus Christ. So when you look at Jesus, you see glory, divine glory. I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, and it's something that you can't really illustrate in human terms, but this is the closest I could get. Um, Have any of you been to a concert or a major sporting event lately? Anybody? A couple? Timidly raising their hands? Okay. It's different when you go and you're in person at some of these events. I mean, why do people even go to football games? You can sit on your couch and watch. Almost all of us have these big TVs now that can zoom in. It's almost like you're on the field with the players and you can eat food at very reasonable prices in your own living room. Why does anybody go? Why do you go? Because it's different being there in person. And why do you go to a concert? You can put your earbuds in and and hear as though they're singing directly to you. Why do you go? Because it's different seeing it in person. See, Jesus Christ is God in person. You look at Jesus and you see God in person. It's like being in the field. It's like being at the concert. God, to so many of us, is this distant, this distant idea. And it's sort of been and humming in the background of our lives. But in Jesus Christ, that distant idea is a human standing there beside us. And when we read his words and when we see his face in the scripture and we're made known of his teaching, we're there in the presence of God himself. And that's glorious. Now, this glory that Jesus has is real and it's inherent in him. He is glorious. When we think about evangelism, we don't have to make him glorious in our presentation. He just is. You know, I have a sales background. I did a lot of sales and marketing PR stuff before I became a pastor. And there's two different ways to have to do sales. One way, you have a product you don't believe in, but it doesn't matter. You need your commission. So you make it seem like you believe in it. You make it seem good. Even if you would never buy it in a billion years with your own money. The other way is you have a product that you absolutely believe in. You own three of them. You are passionate about it because it's a good product. It's two totally different ballgames if you have to do sales. Okay, this Jesus is not this inferior product that we have to try to make look good. He looks good. He is glorious. So you don't need to feel any pressure to make him look good. He doesn't need public relations representatives to use uh, careful language to make him more palatable to people. He is palatable. He is glorious. So the first reminder, Jesus is glorious. Now, second reminder is a very important follow-up to this first reminder. Many people cannot see Jesus's glory. Many people cannot see Jesus's glory. So as I'm saying, Jesus is palatable. He is glorious. He does look good. Many of you might be thinking of these people in your minds and thinking, I don't know, I've talked to them about Jesus and they they don't find him palatable and they don't find him glorious. Why is that? There's this verse in Romans 1 that says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God. The gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ is God's son 
He came and lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins so that we who are sinful can be forgiven and made new. He raised from the dead, proving that he is who he said he was, that he is the Lord, that he is God's son. And by believing and trusting in him, we too can have new life and we can be forgiven. The Bible says that that message is the power of God to salvation. Now, the power of God is pretty powerful. So it seems like you ought to be able to to load up your gospel ray gun in the morning and just shoot people with that message during the day and they become Christians, Christian, Christians, gospel, 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 Christian, 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 done. Why doesn't it work that way? Why doesn't it work that way all the time? Why is it that, like Paul says, uh, backed up a little bit in 1 Corinthians 2, that the gospel is the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing? To one, it's a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Why is it that the same gospel, two different people of the same educational level and the same socioeconomic background, one of them is life and is power and it's salvation. The other, it's stupid and ignorant and death. Well, one reason why is in our passage. Look back at verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled or covered or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have an enemy that works against us in evangelism. He's a mind blinder. He can actually make it to where people cannot see the obvious and inherent glory of Jesus Christ, where they can look right at him And not see it. The same glory that that can reduce us to tears while we're worshiping him in song. Or when we see an answer to prayer. Or when we just feel him speaking to us. That same glory to them is invisible. They see right through it. They don't see anything. You know, I have found out later in life that I have some color blindness. I never knew it. But especially with blues and greens. Um... I just don't see them accurately like I always thought I did. I drove a car. Um, I started driving it shortly after high school and almost through my entire college career, and I thought it was green. (laughs) I thought it was green, like a real, like a hunter green, like a deep green. And I, you know, I didn't talk about that to many people. You don't have many occasions to say, my car is green, but it came up with Meredith somehow, and she said, green? Car's not green, it's blue. It blows my mind. I, all my life, I thought I knew blue and green. And now I realize, well, maybe when I see what I think is green, everybody else sees blue. Now, it's, <laughs> just let that settle in for a minute. That's sort of our situation before God reveals Jesus' glory to us. We see something, but it's not the reality. And it's not, it's not because we don't know enough. It's not because we're not smart enough. It's not because the people who have tried to explain Jesus to us, to us haven't done it eloquently enough. It's because we have an enemy that actually blinds our minds to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
There's a whole supernatural element to evangelism. And that is really the predominant element to evangelism. That's why, you know, if I give you a set of three questions to go ask the teller at the bank, that's really a, it's not equipping you very well because those questions, you can't manipulate someone into it. It's so much supernatural. There are people who are perishing and there are people who are living. And to the perishing until God does a supernatural work, the gospel just makes them perish even more. Until God lifts the veil and they see it. And that brings us to our third reminder. First, Jesus is glorious. Second, many cannot see Jesus' glory. And third, God shines the light. God's the one that shines the light. God's the one that reveals Jesus' glory to previously unbelieving people. Look at verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember, in the beginning, he said, let there be light. And it, it was. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts... To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. There where it says, let the light shine and that God has shown. The word there in the original language is very close to our word lamp. Lampo. God has his fingers on the switch. God's the one that can flip it. He's the one that can turn the lamp on in people's hearts. To see the glory of Jesus Christ. We actually don't have that power to make that happen in anybody's hearts. God does. He did this with Paul. And I want to read to you how Paul came to Christ. Because remember, Paul's the one that's writing these words about how God enlightens the hearts of men to Jesus' glory. Before Paul became a Christian, he was practically a member of ISIS. He was violently persecuting Christians. He was at least there aiding and abetting the murder of Christians, if not participating firsthand. On his way to go kill some more Christians, here's what happens. This is in Acts chapter 9. His name was Saul back then. Changed his name after he became a Christian. It was such a dramatic conversion. But Saul, whom we know as Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, before it was called Christianity, it was, it was called the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, while he was still Saul, if he busted in here while he was still Saul, he would have drug us all to prison, men and women, it wouldn't have mattered. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They were on the same road Paul was, but God hadn't flipped a switch for them. He flipped the switch for Paul. 
Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate or drank. And then you can read the rest later, but it goes on to show how God integrates him into the way, and he becomes our greatest missionary in the history of the church. That was his conversion experience, and that's probably what he had in his mind as he wrote these words about how God lampens people's hearts, how God turns the light on, shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in people's hearts. He experienced it. And any of us in here who have become Christians experienced some version of what Paul did. We may have not been physically blinded on our way to work, but we went from in the dark to in the light. And though many people shared the gospel with you, it was God that flipped that switch. Now this means that evangelism is really primarily a supernatural affair. There's Satan, our enemy, blinding our minds. There's the God of the universe saying, let there be light in our hearts. So as you think about your people that you got into your mind at the beginning of the service and you picture them, you need to know that a lot more needs to happen than what you can accomplish. And let that take some pressure off of you. You don't have to save them. You can't. God does that. His finger is on the light switch. So what's our part? Those are our three reminders. Now for our two assignments from this passage. You're oriented now, reminded of what the situation is with evangelism. And now God's going to give us two action items that we need to obey. Number one, we need to proclaim. We need to proclaim. Look at verse five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What we proclaim. To proclaim means to herald, to announce. Proclaiming is different from explaining. Proclaiming is different from manipulating. Proclaiming is a very straightforward, very powerful action. It's just heralding, speaking, shouting something that is true. Now, many of you have heard, they're not here with us this morning, but you may have seen on the slideshow or seen on Facebook, Megan and Donnie Smith are pregnant, mainly Megan, but they're expecting again, which is, you know, a huge blessing. And when you see them, you know, give them a hug and tell them you're praying for them. But when Megan put that out on Facebook, did any of you see, she posted it on Facebook. So I know it's okay for me to talk about it now. She proclaimed it. It was joyous news and she proclaimed it. She heralded it. She said, you know, we've had our appointment and now I can tell you the truth. I'm pregnant. That's a one-way communication. She didn't go through explanation of the birds and the bees. She didn't go through anything but just proclaiming the news. They're pregnant. That's what evangelism is. It's proclamation. Now, in relationship with people, there'll surely be times of explanation and back and forth. There'll surely be discussion. But mainly, evangelism is just sharing the news. I used to be spiritually blind I couldn't see the glory of Jesus Christ. I was drugged to church as a child, but it was boring, and I did it because I couldn't drive, and Mom made me. But then God opened my eyes. It's like he removed a veil from my eyes, and all of a sudden I could see that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that 
in the face of Jesus, we see the glory of God that he speaks the words of life. He's glorious. And I know that you're blind like I was, but I love you and I want you to see what I see. It's proclamation. One blind, formerly blind man telling other blind men where to find the light. So we need to proclaim. And we need to proclaim Jesus. Notice he's very careful about that in verse 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. When proclaiming Jesus Christ, there's no need to be self-conscious because it's not about ourselves. You guys aren't perfect. And you don't have to wait until you're a flawless, sinless being before you can tell people about the flawless, sinless being. It's not about us. It's about him. And we live in a a world full of self-promotion. We have more avenues to promote ourselves than ever through social media and everything else. But evangelism isn't about promoting ourselves. It's it's about promoting Jesus. And I'm going to try not to get up on my soapbox about this like I've done so many times in the past. But it's also not about promoting ourselves as a church. We're never called to promote Doolin's Grove. We're never called to promote the glory of Doolin's Grove. We are called to promote and proclaim Jesus Christ. When we are proclaiming Jesus Christ, we're being Doolin's Grove. But we never need to promote Doolin's Grove. We never need to evangelize about Doolin's Grove, the good news of Doolin's Grove. We're a bunch of blind people that Jesus saved. We need to point to Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Okay. We proclaim Jesus, not ourselves. It would be okay if no one ever heard of Doolin's Grove Church, if so long as many, many, many people hear about Jesus Christ. And we proclaim Jesus as Lord. Did you notice that? Usually when we think about evangelism, or at least for me, I'm mainly thinking about Jesus as Savior. But here Paul points out Jesus as Lord. In verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is our Savior, but he's not only our Savior. He's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's also our Lord. Remember, he's the glorious one. He's divine. He's God's Son. To be the Lord means to have absolute ownership rights. And what I want to highlight here about this is that when we think about Jesus and when we talk to people about Jesus, we don't need only to think about and talk about the utility of Jesus. You can use Jesus to be forgiven from your sins. You can use Jesus to be cleansed. You can use Jesus to find life. You can use Jesus to be happy. Now, There's a sense, I wouldn't use those words, but there's a sense in which that's kind of true. I mean, we do receive all those blessings in Christ. But evangelism isn't just about the utility of Jesus. It's about the glory of Jesus. And he's not just our Savior. He's the Lord. Period. Whether people acknowledge it or not, he is the Lord. So when we evangelize, we need to give the whole good news of who Jesus is. Including the fact that he is rightfully the Lord. So that's assignment number one. We need to proclaim. We need to open our mouths. We need to speak 
about Jesus Christ to people who don't know him. And number two, we need to serve. And that's in verse five as well. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So nobody needs to think that we're awesome. They just need to know that Jesus is awesome. And we are freed from trying to be awesome to serve. So when we as Christians or as a church try to be excellent in anything that we do, we don't try to be excellent to promote excitement about us. We try to be excellent to serve people really well out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Not to bring glory to ourselves, but because we love Jesus and we're serving people. That can also take a lot of the pressure off of you as well. As you have that face in your mind of the people that you love that don't know Jesus, you're only called to tell them about Jesus and serve them in the name of Jesus. You're not called to save them. In my office, I have a filing cabinet, and on the filing cabinet I have taped up all the major lessons God has taught me since I became your pastor. And there's about four up there right now. These are the big headline things that God has taught me since I've known you guys. And one of them is, it just says servant, comma, not savior. I'm just a servant. I'm not the savior. And you guys are well aware of that. But maybe some of you need to remember that this morning. That person you're worried about, that child, grandchild, coworker, you can serve them and you should, but you can't save them. And you shouldn't feel the pressure of saving people. That's Jesus' role. So just let that pressure just drop off and know that you're free to serve. So now, you've got your reminders, you've got your assignments. I want you to, to close your eyes, bow your heads. We're going to close this sermon in prayer now. And I want you to continue to picture these people. You're picturing your people. What would it look like for that person or those people to see Jesus' glory? What would it look like for God to flip the switch in their hearts? Have you prayed for these people? Do you pray for these people? Have you proclaimed to them about Jesus Christ? What opportunities might you have coming up to proclaim Jesus Christ to them? Do you serve them? What opportunities might you have to serve them? Father, with your word ringing in our ears and these people standing out in our hearts and our minds, Lord, please let the pressure to be awesome fall away from us. Let us just enjoy your awesomeness in Jesus Christ. Let the pressure to save these people fall away from us. And let the genuine determination to proclaim Jesus to these people fill our hearts and to serve them. May we become an evangelistic church, not by program or by coercion from me, but by genuine love for you and the people around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.